Yeah, I mean, this goes not only with the, the crisis line, but I mean, even in most of the research that I've done for the VA, for uh, working at DU, I mean, a lot of it really comes down to, to loneliness, of people feeling alone and feeling like they don't have anyone. And so whenever we're talking about people who are suicidal, um, who are at that high risk, who are seriously contemplating taking their own life, one of the biggest things is saying that they, like, no one's going to miss them. Wow. And that's like reading through transcripts, reading through qualitative interviews. It's, it's, it's the connecting line where connectedness is, is 100% like a reason for living or something that, that can like give someone that, that one, one thing to keep them safe in the moment. Welcome to Modern Happiness, where we believe happiness is a choice. Our goal is to share how we and our high-performing guests choose happiness covering topics such as fitness, mindset, relationships, business, and much more in today's world. Here are your hosts, Matt Mahalik and Taylor Sleeper. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Modern Happiness. This is Deuce, if you didn't already know, and I am just so excited because Matt and Taylor got to sit down with one of Taylor's friends, Cole Lawson. Cole is a medical researcher at the Rocky Mountain Mental Illness Research, Education, and Clinic Center for Suicide Prevention at the Denver VA Hospital. He also works part-time for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline as a crisis responder. And get this, he even, when he has time, works as a barista just for fun. (laughs) He's literally incredible. Uh, This episode was absolutely fascinating. Matt and Taylor got to pick Cole's brain on all things related to suicide, um... And I genuinely learned so much from this conversation. I feel like this is a topic that really isn't talked about often. One takeaway that I learned from Cole is that, you know, it's very important to check in on your people. Uh, It's even more important to make sure that they know they're loved. It's so easy these days to stay connected to your people but at the same time it's also so hard because you're connected to so many people and it's just overwhelming so I like to do this thing that whenever I think of a special person in my life and I'm like oh I wonder how they're doing I send them this thing called a love bomb a love bomb is essentially just a random text with three reasons why I love this person so much um it's like the best text message to construct and and sending it is just so fabulous makes my heart all fuzzy and I mean who wouldn't like receiving a love bomb from their bestie every once in a while highly recommend it so I hope you enjoy this next episode and if you do tag us on instagram at modern happiness podcast and tell us why but without further ado here is Cole Lawson What is up, happiness homies? We are back together again. This is the first time in a hot minute. It feels so good. That we've recorded in person. It feels so good. My my nuts are throbbing. <laughs> I'm half chub right now. We have a non-alcoholic beer because it's still so rocked over. I feel great. 
We got Cole. Cole, welcome to the podcast. This beautiful guest over here. Thanks for having me. How are we feeling? Did that make you feel right at home and comfortable? Uh, yeah, it was the non-alcoholic beer that did it for me. Okay, good. Not yeah. not the swollen nuts talking. No, 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 no. I figured that was just like pretty normal. Yeah, it certainly <laughs> is. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead, Derek. All right, we're going to start off with a little rapid fire. Oh. Um, what's one thing you were grateful for? Ooh, I am grateful to be here with you too. Love it. Wow. Same. Easy. Same. I love that. Uh, what's your most used emoji? The winking with the like tongue out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I didn't wink. I just closed both eyes. <laughs> so drunk off <laughs> this. Effort, and I, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, tough. Great. All right. What's your walk-up song? Oh. How chaotic am I feeling right that day? Mm. Ooh. The most, the most chaotic. The most chaotic. It's definitely going to be some sort of pop punk. Um, Ooh. Maybe a little MCR. I don't know them, but. My Chemical Romance? Oh, okay, 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 okay. A little Jack's Mannequin. Yeah, yeah, now you're on. speaking my language. Yeah. Pop. Matt, Matt didn't have a childhood. You didn't have a childhood? I skipped it. <laughs> I skipped it. No, it's the best bus. In my town, there's a lot the, of classic rock. The boyish face. Yeah, that's right. I'm still in it, actually. I'm still yeah. trying to figure all that out. Uh, Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah. But I skipped the, uh, uh, what do you call it, Teenage Angst. I didn't really yeah. have, I mean, some 41, Blink-182, mm. Green Day. But yeah, I mean, I know I know some of their songs, but yeah. I didn't get super into all that stuff. So I guess I didn't. That means I didn't have a childhood. Didn't have, uh, I guess, teenage. teenage yeah, whatever, years. Taylor. Whatever. Um, all right. What did you want to be when you grew up? I skipped it. I know. Sorry, Taylor. It's okay. <laughs> what did I want to be when I grew up? I think that I wanted to be an author. Oh. Anything specific? Genre? Uh, fiction. Um, I loved to write when I was growing up. Creative nice. writing was kind of an escape for me. Uh, so whenever I grew up in like a super small town, it was one of those things where like I finally felt like I had control where I grew up. Yeah. Like creating the worlds of like making my own story, change the narrative. That's great. That's exactly why I like fiction, so I can escape yeah. this world and just be like, it's just yeah, <laughs> it's because it's I so need an bad. escape. It's so bad. <laughs> I, I'm, now I'm just reading about uh, people drinking a lot of beer because I. <laughs> well, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I love I love Stephen King's. I'm I'm reading right now. Um, uh, the name of the wind. Does anybody know Patrick this? Rothfuss? Yeah, yeah. I'm listening to it actually. Okay. And I listened to it five years ago, and I was like. I missed that. I never, I want to do the second one, but I was like, I got to refresh. Yeah. And it's like a 28 hour audible. And then the second book is like 48 hours. It's such a good book. It's so good. I'm loving it right now. So yeah, it's fiction. I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to throw a curveball here. We whittled down a rapid fire, but I'm going to bring this one back. Cole, what is your nickname <laughs> or nicknames? Uh, I, I think you're referring to one, which is chaos Cole slash chaotic Cole. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'd it's sober hear- October though, so. I loved it. Oh, okay, is it Reverend? Oh, <laughs> sober October for for three of you, I should say. Yeah, not for you. You could do whatever oh, you want over not here. Not for me. Any anything you're you're comfortable sharing about this nickname? Uh, you know, like it just depends on what story you want. It's got a whole whole gambit. The most chaotic story is what I want. <laughs> I think it, then that would probably be the, the the day of my 21st birthday whenever I don't know how how I'm still still here. Oh, really? Yeah. Did, is this an escaping death or is this just this, you drink so much? It was 36 shots within the night. I don't remember how I got home. 
That's the classic, uh, you know, 21 <laughs> shots for your birthday plus 15 more. Yeah, I wanted to... 21 I wanted, shots. I lost count. Let's start over. I wanted yeah. to up the ante. Uh, and I did. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. That's impressive. That's, I don't... I think that was like the breaking point where I'm like, I don't think I'm going to drink that much anymore. Yeah. How, how quickly did this happen? Was this like date, you know, day drinking? 10 no, in the morning? No, this was very much like... Well, it was originally going to be with one of my other friends whose birthday was like two days before. And we were doing... Instead of 21 shots, we are doing 21 appetizers because mm-hmm. that seemed like the better idea. And then it just evolved into just shots. Did anything happen? Is there a story you clearly... I would have guessed. Don't remember no, much. No, 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 no. I remember that the last shot I took was at the. It was at this college bar that everyone always like kind of end up at, and it was liquid cocaine. And beyond that, I woke up the next day and I was drunk until five p.m. on a Saturday, and then I was hungover until Monday. Wait, it, wait, 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 I'm sorry. Was, the drink was liquid cocaine. Yeah. The drink was the liquid name cocaine. Of it, yeah. Or you had liquid honestly, cocaine. Honestly, honestly, could could go either way. Just okay, stirring okay. it with that long picky nail in your <laughs> yeah. little glass. And, yeah. Wow, all right. I mean, I love down it. in the Ozarks, who knows? Mm-hmm. It, it's anyone's ballgame at that point. Chaotic coal. Chaotic coal? Chaotic coal. Chaos coal. If you say it really fast, it almost sounds foreign. Yeah. Chaotic coal. Chaotic coal! Is that rush hour? When he's screaming Godzilla? Oh, Chris Tucker. Great, great stuff. Uh, all right, back to the rapid fire. Um, speaking of, if you want to be an author, what's your favorite book? Ooh, that's a tough one. I feel like that's it's like asking like a chef what's their what's their favorite food or like asking because you're know. an author. Be, because I'm so, an author. Yeah. yeah. Same correlation. I'm an accomplished author. Uh I really love stuff by Brandon Sanderson. He's a fiction author. Um one of his he does like this really good uh it's not even a trilogy. I forget how many books are in the series. Uh called the stormlight archives and he's just mm. absolutely brilliant writer nice like patrick rothfuss yeah. fantastic sanderson's above him oh nice yeah i'll have to check it out then awesome okay last question what is your superpower i think my superpower is being able to meet people where they're at mm. you think i think okay yeah because you know you Sometimes you don't always know what your superpower is until someone tells you. Has anybody yeah. told you? Yeah. I think people have told me that I do a really good job of listening, of making feel, people feel understood and included, um, and in that way, making them feel valued. And I think that's something that's really important to me, mm. uh, especially in the work that I do, kind of making sure that people kind of have those, those reasons to live and those, those things that make life worth living. I love that. I mean, that's a perfect segue into this podcast today. So um, we always do a little intro before that you won't hear totally. for you and hope we, we do you justice. But uh, if you don't mind telling people, what do you do and how'd you get into it? So I, uh, for the longest time, was working within the mental health space. And so I did a lot with suicide prevention in uh, military populations about Two months ago, I actually switched out to a new role, which is kind of outside the the space in clinical trials. And it's a lot of it, I think, is to kind of take a break because the work is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever I'd go into the VA or I'd go at uh, Evans Army Community Hospital down in the Springs at Fort Carson, I might be working with people who have been actively suicidal at some point. And that's 
only like one part of their story. They could be suffering from PTSD. They could have generalized anxiety, depression. I mean, you name it. I probably worked with it in their intersection at some point. And it's it's not easy work because um, you're hearing people kind of at the their their worst uh, and what what that means to them and kind of their own um, stories up until then. So. I switched that, taking a little break. However, on the side, I still do a little bit of research for University of Denver. I partner with one of the, the faculty members there who studies suicidal behavior in LGBTQ adolescents, hmm. uh, as well as do a little bit on the crisis line for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's actually what I just came from. Took a nice little two-hour shift. Wow. And here I am. That's all volunteer at the hotline? Uh, so hotline is going to be a bit paid because now I'm an on-call supervisor. So I help okay. all the volunteers in gotcha. case they have like any issues. Yeah. They can call me, text me. Um, but the one at the University of Denver is volunteer. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. I have a million questions. I <clears throat> Before we dive too far, yeah. I'm curious, uh, Cole, you and I have talked a little bit more in depth, but why did you get into this? Like what led to, I believe you have a degree in psychology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Studying this because you mentioned like it's, it's tough. It sounds like you have a big impact, but it can be hard to show up to work sometimes, I imagine. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it, you never want to take your work home with you, especially in kind of like this kind of work. And for the longest time, like I did a really good job with, with not doing that. But eventually, like trauma compounds and trauma like will display itself in your body um, after a while, especially like if you're not, you know, taking healthy self-care practices or like talking to a therapist or kind of doing all the things you should be doing regularly, mm. even preventatively. Um, I got into this field back in college because I just noticed that a lot of my friends really struggle with their mental health. I had one friend who did like get put on inpatient unit on like suicide risk. Um, and another friend who was in ROTC at the time and he, I mean, it was just like some of the worst depression I think I've ever like seen in someone of how far, like even like basic life necessities kind of reach this degradation point. And kind of looking at that, I looked at how I grew up and realized that mental health was never discussed. Like we could talk about broken bones. We could talk about like, if you have the flu or if you're if the cold, but at least in my household, or at least my community in small town, Missouri, like it was never like part of the discussion. And so kind of coming to college and, and seeing how it really did impact people and how people were so much more open with it. It was something that really got me kind of interested also in the ways that like how back home we didn't talk about it. So why, why weren't we having these discussions like in these communities versus um, like we were in my, my new communities at my university. And so that kind of led to my research interest of how mental health impacts um, masculine populations differently uh, and that ultimately kind of led me to working with military populations, which arguably are some of the most hyper-masculine. Mm -hmm. This is so interesting because uh, I, I definitely grew up like in the same world, like playing sports, you're a guy, you don't really talk about your feelings, whatever. But in today's world, I feel like mental health is like a buzzword. Mm -hmm. where, do, where do you think we've come and like, where are we at with that? Like, I'll, I'll stop there and then I've got... Got some more questions. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued, intrigued to hear more. I, it's, it's one of those things where awareness has been raised, and I feel like people are still kind of in that phase of, like, we don't talk about it enough. Like, break the stigma. And, of course, 
depending on where you're at, that that's still true. Um, but I mean, look at it from five, 10 years ago of, of how far I think we've come, at least from that awareness perspective. And now it's more so like, all right, people know, uh, what else are we doing about it? Cause you're right. It, mental health becomes this, this buzzword that almost loses meaning at that point, because it's, if everyone's talking about it, but, but no action items are being done, then it's just kind of like almost, um, I forgot the, the specific word, the performance activism mm. in that sense. How, so how would you define mental health? Like uh, what exactly, what are the specifics of? Yeah. I th- always, <laughs> it depends on how clinical you want to get. I think like the best broad definition of mental health is kind of reaching almost this, this homeostasis or better of your physical, mental, and emotional well-being of all things kind of lining up together uh, to promote what would be like happiness, modern happiness. Oh. You know, we love that word. Getting, getting us going over here. Yeah, I'm curious with that. Like, how does someone know we're there if you get to this homeostasis? Like, um, I mean, I've never seen a therapist. I think about it often. I'm like, do I need one? I don't really know. I feel like I'm happy and we all have our struggles. And I feel like I do a good job of getting through those things and past that. So, I'm sure someone may, may have more awareness of like, I'm not okay. And I do need to see someone. Um, I don't know. I'm just, it's such a broad spectrum, right? So like, where do you feel like, how can you create this self-awareness for yourself to be like, I need to go see someone or I'm good. Or should everyone see someone? Yeah. I think that that's, that is a really tough question of the fact that everyone has their own kind of personal limits and, and boundaries and self-awareness, like you said, where, Sometimes it, it takes like this, this big event for someone to realize they're not okay. And sometimes it's, it's all these little things that kind of add up over time and, um, it, it, it chips away and people for the most part can do their best. And sometimes we get so lost in our own kind of like thoughts and worlds that we don't, we don't have that awareness anymore. And so one of the best ways is like talking to your friends and friends are, will be some of the first people to kind of make that, that observation of like, Hey, like. Are you doing okay? Things, things seem a little bit different. And then from there, uh, like we were talking about the, this awareness portion of like maybe considering like, hey, is, is this something I can handle on my own? Do I have the coping skills necessary uh, to be able to do this? Or is this something that, you know, might be enhanced by talking to a therapist or, or going to see a, a psychiatrist if something like might be more, uh, something deeper might be going on. Mm. Yeah, I love that. We were talking about last episode or two episodes, just having a community, you know, a safe place where you're not going to be judged for how you're feeling. Um, curious, maybe both sides of the spectrum, if someone has a friend that they feel like might be, you know, noticing their moods changing or maybe not like they once were, maybe depressed or something. Um, how do you address that conversation? And then on the flip side, if you're not feeling um, like yourself or really sad or depressed or whatever. Um, how can this is, again, these are tough questions, but how can you f- get to a point where you just turn to a friend and be like, I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's never an easy conversation. And that's part of like what you said of, of building community and kind of establishing that rapport and trust with them before you engage in these conversations. And I think for the most part, if you talk to a friend and you do kind of notice that they're, they're not doing as well as potentially they have in the past, most people I think value that of, of making them feel seen and heard of having someone actually care to check in on them. I know whenever I get on 
my crisis chats. It's one of the biggest things that we'll always look out for is like, do you have a support system? Do you have immediate supports there with you? Is that like friends or, or family um, that you can turn to? Or do you have any social support? This could be, even be like um, teachers or like coworkers that, you know, would kind of be there in a time of need. And even if like you have previously kind of been in this like happy kind of like homeostasis mood where things are fine, um, all it takes is just that one friend to kind of reach out and just extend the hand and be like, Hey, like I'm here for you. Mm. Like, I don't know what you need. I don't know what, what is going to help, but like, I'm, I'm here to support you in, in any way that I can. Yeah. C- can you describe what that support looks like? Uh, I'm curious coming from someone who's been on the support line and obviously you are in this work, you know, what does it look like to show up for a friend who might be feeling depressed or, or, you know, needs that support? Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's so personally tailored to who that friend is and kind of what they need. I mean, I know that I've had friends in the past who, whenever they are in some sort of depressive state or they're um, dealing with a lot of anxiety, they just want people around. They don't even have to be doing anything. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just that physical presence of, of knowing that someone's there to support them that means the world of difference. And other times there's, there's friends who just want to be left alone. And that's totally okay. Um, that doesn't mean that you need to worry more. That just means that right now, wherever they're at, they just may need to process by themselves. Um, and all you can do is just let them know that if there's anything that you can do for them, like you'll do it. Yeah. Just know that they have that person there should they need it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important just to put that out there mm-hmm. because it, it, I've never dealt with this, but it seems like stories I've heard, like you almost have this regret, like, oh, I think I saw something and I just wish I said something. And it's like, yes, if you're listening to this, like say something, Yeah, it's okay. Like I think, you know, I talk a lot about this with my clients and vulnerability and, you know, I do a lot on social media, um, showing up and kind of telling my story and like, I've been divorced and talking about that. And I, and I hear people say, like, even my brother's girlfriend was like, wow, I can't believe you posted about his divorce. Like I would never do that. And it's so funny because when I do that, despite the fact that I get the most likes and the comments, but it's just people supporting me and also opening up and be like, oh my God, I'm dealing with the same stuff and being able to be there for someone else. And it's like, it's that kind of vulnerability side of like, we always envision the worst. I think mm-hmm. I'm going to tell this person that I'm depressed or whatever it is. And they're going to think less of me. And that's just never the case. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder, well, I don't know. Taylor, you have some questions. Yeah. I've got, <clears throat> I've got some thoughts. One. So kind of just piggybacking off mental health, right? It's kind of a buzzword. Do you feel like, <sighs> In a way, it almost feels like popular to talk about. Oh, like totally. Mental health, like for my mental health, I do these things. Do you feel like that ever takes away from the severity of what people are going through? Like when having a conversation? I think it depends because some people really do feel empowered mm. by being able to talk about these things. And I think it, it gives them some kind of locus of control over potentially like this, this period of life when they, they felt like they haven't had that control. And so by freely talking about it, it, it kind of like names the beast in mm. a sense. Whereas other times, yeah, I do think that, I mean, you see lots of influencers talking about like the things that they're doing for their mental health and uh, not to say that they, they obviously don't struggle with it, but there, there are times when I feel like it's a bit hollow mm. and I feel like for the most part, people can kind of tell that difference of seeing someone who's truly struggled 
uh, with with whatever they uh, they may maybe alien them versus people who may be using it as kind of this attention grabber. Yeah. So, so I'll give you an example of like, you know, if someone's, if I'm talking to Matt and I'm struggling, I'm like, Hey, like I'm really struggling with my mental health, you know, that response versus like, Hey dude, I'm really sad. Like I'm depressed. Like, I don't want to get out of bed. Like, do you feel like, cause we, one of our last episodes, we talked about this and like when I was in high school and like my early twenties, like going through depression. And I think, I don't know if Matt and I had ever talked about that. Like that was probably new for him to hear me say because of where I'm at now. And I, I don't, I mean, I think it's like a spectrum where I haven't been to that place, but it is interesting, like having felt those feelings and like thinking back to those times where I was like, I felt like something was wrong with me. So that's why I didn't say it. But now it's like, I almost wonder with like mental health and like, like you said, the influencers, it's like, if someone brings it up, like, you know, do, do the, do you think people need to get descriptive or it's like, they just need to start by telling somebody something. I think it's kind of one of those things that you were talking about earlier about vulnerability of, is this a a space that I can be vulnerable Mm. in? And so whenever you mentioned those, those two kind of statements, I heard one where you gave those descriptors and one where you were just broaching the subject. And so I feel like you could talk to Matt about like saying like, Hey, I'm depressed. I can't get out of bed. I like, all those things are happening. But if you're talking to someone else who didn't know, like you just said, or didn't know as well, I should say, of saying like, Hey, I'm really struggling with my mental health. Then that could be the way to open up that conversation with someone who maybe you don't feel, you know, that you could be as vulnerable with and see how they take it from there. Right. Yeah. That's a a really good point. I didn't didn't think about it that way. I was thinking of like, I feel like sometimes people and even clients I have and not talking about mental health, but just like something they're struggling with. They're like, Oh yeah. Like I'm just, uh, I'm not good at time management. You know, they just kind of like throw it under the rug. And I guess I, I feel like I'm seeing that with mental health where it's like, mm. Oh, Hey, I'm just having a, a really tough mental health day. And then you add like, Hey, do you need help? Or no, no. I, you know, I, I talked to my friends about it and it's like, you know, getting deeper is what it, it appears to me is like, what's actually going to help and like having the deeper conversations. And obviously it's like finding the right people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, it's crucial. Uh, you can have these struggles and I, and I see it all the time whenever I get on crisis chats of they, they people generally don't have anyone they can, they can name as part of a safety plan, um, which is something you do with, with someone who may be suicidal, um, who may be at high risk for suicide. You go through like two people they can turn to. You go through two professionals they could go to. You go to like a safe place. They feel like they go to be able to keep themselves like safe in the moment. And they keep on working through coping skills and such. And so as long as you can have those like those people you can identify in your life, then that's one of the most important things uh, that I think, at least moving forward with someone who, who does struggle with their mental health. So, so is it fair to say you feel like awareness is the first step? If, if somebody is like you know, listening or maybe wherever they're at, it's like kind of just creating awareness of like, okay, something's different. You know, I'm feeling a certain way and then, you know, taking action on that. I, yes. Or let me, let me rephrase this because you said, you know, if we define mental health, it's an equilibrium of mental, emotional, physical health. Mm -hmm. Right. So one, I'm curious, like, can we measure that? Do you think like, is there, are there markers to like, obviously it's going to be different for everyone. Um, but if it is an equilibrium, right? Like how do we know when we're out of equilibrium 
And then maybe like, what are the steps to get back to equilibrium? And then like, this is a, a lot of questions. What are maybe some checkpoints, right? Like, you know, I know you from, I met you at the gym, you know, in CrossFit or fitness, whatever you can track stuff, right? If you, you show up either like whether it's losing weight or like, if you're a runner, it's like, oh, I ran a mile in 10 minutes. Now I ran it in 945. Now I ran it in 930. And then life happens and all of a sudden, you know, you don't work out and then you run a mile in 12 minutes or like the food you're eating, you know, that, that seems easier. And this is obviously like a much harder conversation. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in research and clinical settings, they do have measures uh, that, that they'll use. So whenever, for example, when you go to your primary care provider, uh, you'll go through some of the most common ones for your mental health. Will ask you like over the past like however long, like have you felt like hopeless, depressed? Uh, have you felt like the experienced suicidal thoughts? And that's kind of like the the most basic of what would be like a good measure, but there are other specific measures, um, that will just like track your mood of like on a scale of one to, to five, some arbitrary, arbitrary number, one being low, five being high, like how happy have you been today or how like insert emotion here. And so some people, and this is obviously typically people who've been in like mental health spaces that may be struggling with their mental health, um, kind of use those as checkpoints for like, improvement, um, or regression kind of in their, their mood and their, their lifestyle. And this tracks like not only mental health, but emotional health and like physical health, um, as well. But for the average person, obviously that's not as readily available. And so it's, it's something that there aren't really like readily available markers of yeah. health. Is there anything you do like in your day to day where you're like, Oh man, I've like, I've kind of felt off or. And then are there things that you like maybe start doing, you know, like journaling is a big one, gratitude, meditation, mm -hmm. fitness, like, yeah. I mean, whenever I notice I have an off day I and mean, the first thing that I'll do is like check, make sure like have I exercised today? Have I like had enough water today? Have I like had a good meal today? Uh, if those like kind of basic necessities are taken care of, then the next thing is like, all right, what's bothering me? Like trying to tune into the present moment, uh, figuring out kind of what that core issue might be. And then from there, if I can identify it, great. I can start to like try and process. If I can't process alone, then I'll reach out to a friend and we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, if it's something that I can't identify though, then obviously it takes a little bit more. And it could, so it could involve things like journaling or it could involve like other coping skills to distract, distract myself, like watching a TV show or reading a book and just losing myself in something until maybe I can come back to it and kind of like make it more tangible in some ways. I love how you said, I feel like the, <laughs> where you went with that was almost obvious. What's been going on, stressors in your life, but you started with exercise, food, and water where it's like, I don't, I wouldn't think that like, I'm feeling sad. Should I drink some water? Like I would go to the other stuff. What's been going on in my life? You know, work is hectic. Oh my God. My girlfriend's yelling at me or whatever. All these other things. Right. Um, I, I would love if you would talk about that for a minute, like that was the first thing you said, exercise, food, water, and why that's so important to our mental health. Yeah. I mean, and I would also add sleep there where it's like, it's kind of your basic necessities of, of, of life of like, have I fed myself? Have I watered myself? Have I like take myself to exercise? I sound like a dog right now, <laughs> but I mean like that's, that's essentially, um, and then like, have I gotten enough good sleep? 
because those things are, are crucial from like at least a day-to-day perspective. And so is it something where I'm having an off day or am I just hangry? Like mm-hmm. you never know. And that's um, real. <laughs> that's, that's, that's real. Yeah. Um, and then from there you can kind of keep on going down of, you know, if those are taken care of, what else could be kind of at the, the forefront of my mind that maybe I'm not like addressing. Mm. Did I have like a fight with a coworker that, that I need to talk out or did a friend send me a passive aggressive text message that now I have to try and decipher? <laughs> did I have a bad workout after, after seeing Taylor at the, the gym? Never, I don't know. Never. never. Maybe John. Definitely John. <laughs> um, Oh, I just had a thought. Well, no, well I'm curious since we're talking about this, like <laughs> I know there's so many things, but if there's like, if you could just say like three things to do to increase your mood, do you have like a top, top three list? Ooh, I don't know. I didn't think on that. I think it's kind of going back to the things that, you know, you're grateful for where some of the things I always list that I'm grateful for are some of the things that make me most happy. So simple thing, like going for a quick walk out in a green space, like getting a little sunshine, being around some trees, getting a little exercise, having a nice cup of coffee, like taking that moment, being present with myself and kind of where I'm at. And then from there, take a nap. Mm-hmm. No one is ever grouchy after they take a nap. Mm. I love that. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, one of the things you, you talked a lot about in the beginning of this podcast was the community too and having people. Mm-hmm. And I know, um, Taylor and I were talking about like, I think when we started the podcast, like, um, I haven't dealt with depression, but just being like off and sad and, you know, winter months, you kind of get that seasonal, I hate to use the word depression lightly, but you know, that seasonal depression, like that's ah, winter, it's cold. Um, and I went back looking at my journal. I was so happy that summer. I was like, what was I doing? And I was like, I was meeting new friends. I was getting a ton of walks in and being out in nature. Um, I was, I was reading these books, more like self-help books. And I was like, those are like three things that was, I mean, that's what I, I just read. I was like, what was I doing? And it, the big things were like the community, meeting people. Taylor and I would become really close friends. Um, and just being like, you know, I was kind of just getting through my divorce and having that summer and be like, this is summer. I'm in Colorado. Like I'm going to enjoy this. And, um, yeah, just those things. I think, uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head with sunshine. Um, but community definitely absolutely based on what you said. And yeah. we talked about it that previous episode for Taylor and how important community was for him. Um, yeah, it's super important. And do you feel like when you're on, again, this may be a, a crazy question, but like when you're on the support line and if you, if it's okay to share this, like, are a lot of people's depression stemming from thing? Is there like, do you see one main thing causing this? Yeah. I mean, this goes not only with the, the crisis line, but I mean, even in most of the research that I've done for the VA, for uh, working at DU, I mean, a lot of it really comes down to, to loneliness of people feeling alone and feeling like they don't have anyone. And so whenever we're talking about people who are suicidal um, who are at that high risk, who are seriously contemplating taking their own life. One of the biggest things is saying that they like, no one's going to miss them. Wow. And that's like reading through transcripts, reading through qualitative interviews. It's, it's, it's the connecting line where connectedness is, is 100% like a reason for living or something that, that can like give someone that, that one, one thing to keep them safe in the moment. Yeah. That's crazy. I had a friend tell me a story about a, a friend who had committed suicide and that first reaction, like, why? Like, I love, I loved you. And if you're saying loneliness is a thing, like 
there are people out there who love you. And I think like, what is happening? Where's the disconnect that someone feels like people don't love them? Cause I think there, everyone has someone I imagine that cares for them. So what's yes. the disconnect? Is, I, are people not saying it? Should we be telling people how much we love them? It, it never hurts. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's one thing where, I mean, tell people you appreciate them, tell them why they value to you, why, why they're important, what makes them special, like making them, making people, even if it's, it's like something simple, let them know how much they're cared for and let them know why they matter. I mean, who, who wouldn't love to hear like a nice compliment from, from a good friend of saying like, you know, I appreciate you because you matter to me because I enjoy having you in my life because one of my favorite questions, words, I should say in the English language is why it's it's just something I always love asking people, whether it's um, like why something's their favorite food, why um, they love waking up early in the mornings or like why uh, they love this person. And making them give those reasons, I think, is incredibly important. So being for you, being able to give those reasons to someone else, um, it really does. It can, it can save life. That's beautiful. It's what you said before, um, people wanting to be seen and heard. Mm-hmm. And if someone just goes, you know, I, you know, I love steak. This steak is so good. And you're like, yeah, yeah, me too. And it's like, okay. But if you're like, why do you love steak so much? Like, oh, man, well, you know. My dad and I, my dad taught me to cook steaks when I was younger. And it just reminds me, it always reminds me of being outside in the backyard. Uh, and then, you know, you just kind of keep asking questions about that. Yeah. Oh, you know, it depends how much you know the person. I'm like, oh, where'd you grow up? Or if we're talking about some, you know, close friend, but you can continue to ask questions. And that's what's making people feel seen and heard. Totally. And like you said, it feels good. People love to talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Conversation is 70% of, of you just asking questions, of mm. getting the other person to talk about themselves. Mm. And you don't have to like know everything to say you just have to know how to ask people questions it's like you said love to talk about themselves yeah is that a lot of what you do on the the hotline um i'm sure you have or especially volunteers like have a script i imagine no they're i mean there we follow a model uh where it's you're like identifying the problem having them talk through their story um kind of getting more into like the the meat of the issue and then from there you kind of shift it where you start to to have them kind of work on their skills or identify as ways that they can keep themselves safe or that they can um, kind of deal with this next time, like in the future, if it happens again. Because uh, on the line, we're obviously not providing long-term care. Mm-hmm. Our main job, our mission is to keep them safe in the moment. Because mm-hmm. typically, and it's very unique to crisis work and the fact that you were working with someone who is acutely like at high risk and at uh, risk for suicide versus if you're talking to a therapist or you're, you're going to see a psychiatrist or someone, those are more chronic, a bit lower risk. And there's a very low likelihood that you're going to work with someone in that setting that is like at an immediate danger mm-hmm. um, versus on the crisis line. And so not so much a script, so much as you just try and build rapport with them in that moment. Yeah. And so it does involve asking a lot of questions of, of trying to get to know them. And some of the, the best conversations that I've had weren't following the model. They were just actually getting to know that person and making them, like you said, feel heard and understood. Because f- potentially for some of these like individuals, it's the first time someone's 
actually listen to them to understand, not just to respond. Yeah. Yeah. That's super important. And I know I've, I've done a lot of work with that and, um, even Taylor's helped me. Like I remember when we first met and, um, learning what Taylor does. And, um, one thing he always had me do or not, he had me do, but kind of just learning from you was like, I wrote, be curious at the top of my paper. And when I do sales calls, like I don't even call them sales calls or support calls. Um, and being that person for somebody to like, I just had the call the other day and it's like, you know, what are your goals? You know, three year goals. Like, wow, I have no idea. No one's ever asked me that. Never thought about it. And it's like, that's an opportunity for me to like kind of open up that space for them to like dream of what's actually possible in your life. Um, and I've seen the power it can do, you know, for some of my clients. So I can only imagine what it could do for someone in that moment to finally have someone to be curious mm-hmm. and actually listen. Not like, what did you say? Just like respond to just respond. Yeah. Listen to understand, not just respond. Yeah. I love that. So it's interesting because these people obviously are like reaching out. They want to talk to somebody. They just either don't feel comfortable, the people in their life or, you know, maybe how they'll respond. There could be a lot of different reasons. I'm curious if you have any, uh, in your experience, like any tips for like having difficult conversations and this doesn't even necessarily have to relate to mental health. Like this is something Matt and I talk about a lot, but I do think it's relevant, right? Because so many people just struggle with like that first conversation or like, you know, where I know like growing up, it's like the world you live in is like, uh, just try to take care of it or put a bandaid on it or like, you know, Mm -hmm. hold it in. But people are afraid, you know, I've been afraid of like, what will this person think? Or what if they know this about me? Or like, that'll show that I'm weak. So like, I'm curious if you just have any tips on how to have difficult conversations or like ways to approach it or, you know, kind of like you were talking about with asking questions, like actually communicating, but, um, any advice? Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest advice is, is quite simply just to have them practice. It's, it's one of those things where practice really does make, make perfect in, in circumstances like these, uh, it's uncomfortable. They never get easier. Uh, obviously depending on how close you are to this person, it can like be less of a, a shock to the system, but just like, kind of like we've been talking about today is letting them know that you're there for them. Um, letting them know that, that you do care and letting them know that maybe, um, you've made some observation recently and you want to talk to them about it. Whenever you, whenever you have these, like you want to use nonviolent communication of being able to approach this person and let them know that you're talking dirty to me now, <laughs> nonviolent communication. I love uh, the book. You just want them to, to feel accepted kind of like you were talked about. Um, and come at it from an angle that is welcoming, which is almost oxymoronic knowing that you're going to have a difficult conversation. Um, but just because it's difficult doesn't mean that it's, it's not going to be productive or that's not gonna be a good conversation. Okay. So how do you, how do you get started though? Like you said, I mean, I, I agree with you, get the reps in, like the more you do it, the easier it gets. But if you've never done it, is it like starting with, smaller things is it or is it just ripping the band-aid off and just like having the conversation intervention style (laughs) (laughs) i think that 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 depends on kind of what you're approaching them about um yeah it's obviously easier to start smaller and then kind of work your way up uh, because obviously you don't want to just completely throw a person off kilter but uh if you're seeing some concerning behavior from a friend and you want to talk to them about it, it could just be as simple as like, hey, let's go get coffee. Hey, let, 
send, shoot him a text and be like, Hey, do you mind if we talk later on, like on the phone, FaceTime, um, you can kind of set it to where they have the home field advantage. So maybe they feel a bit more comfortable, uh, and do something that they want to do. But at the end of the day, it's just like, you know, I've been noticing this, uh, and I want to let you know that I care about you. And it's something that, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, like, tell me more about what's been going on. Whenever you have conversations like this, you never want to be accusatory and you always want to try and ask open-ended questions to get mm-hmm. them to kind of explain more. Yeah. I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. What if, what if it's the, the flip-flop? So what if you're the one struggling and you want to have a, you want to tell someone, is it same advice or is there any, any other ways? Similar. It's, it's kind of identifying like who your support system is. Maybe find that, that, that best friend or that, that one friend who maybe you feel most comfortable going to and just kind of breaking the ice of saying like, Hey, like, do you have a moment? Like, can we talk, uh, using some of the same strategies. And then from there, just, you know, they don't even have to say anything. They could just listen. And at the end of the day, that's honestly pretty cathartic for most people to have that person there. But just if something's on your chest, don't internalize it. That's one of the worst things that you can, you can potentially do. And that's coming from someone who does internalize a lot of, of his issues. Um, but, and it's just like with, with engaging those, those difficult dialogues and starting that conversation, the more you practice, the better you'll get. Vulnerability is a skill that you can work on. Yeah. I think it feels so good to say it. Yeah. Cause it's like, you're hiding this thing and it's like, don't let it slip out or whatever. And it's like, just, I mean, I know I didn't really told my friends about, you know, my divorce. And when I kind of just said it on Instagram, it was, it was kind of nice. Cause then I could just talk about it and how I dealt with it and all this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, speaking of social media, I'm going to switch gears. It was a beautiful transition by me. I have a boss. Um, social media. I want to talk about this because you said loneliness is the biggest cause of suicide. And if I'm not mistaken, suicide rates have gone way up and especially during COVID. And I know social media is a big part of this. Um, and it's supposed to make us more connected than ever. So what's going on here? Yeah, that social media is its own beast. Um, I know I've had conversations with Taylor about it where I, for the first half this year, deleted mine for like six, seven months just to kind of have a little bit of a cleanse. And it's, you really forget how liberating it is to not have it until you don't. Uh, And how kind of like a, I don't want to say like necessary evil, but parts of it like really is to, to still like, get it back even after having kind of that little cleanse. And it's one of those things where I always use the comparison of sometimes you can be surrounded by like the people who love you most and still feel utterly alone. And I feel like that's kind of like the epitome of social media where you have like everyone's stories in, in one place of seeing their lives play out. Uh, but at the same time, like even though like they're there in some ways, um, there's all those degrees of separation to make you feel like, it just makes you feel shitty. Yeah. I think it's that it's this, what you've been saying a lot here is that, you know, it's the highlight reel social media that we see and mm-hmm. all that, that comes with it. No one's going to, a lot of people don't show up on Instagram and are crying and talking about this stuff. Um, so I think that's just what it goes back to is getting off that and having someone you can talk to because you're not alone in this. And it seems like, like you said, so many people think not just that they're alone, but that they're the only one, struggling or in pain mm-hmm. and we all have our own pain. We all deal with, you know, 
based on our life experiences, you know, maybe I haven't had a lot of death in my family, but I experienced, you know, a different loss, whatever. And it, and it hurts me more. Someone's like, what, that's it. That's all that's going on. But you know, we're all experiencing our, our different, our different pains. And, um, um, to be able to, I think, open up and talk about that and just be like, I'm struggling. It's like, dude, fucking me too, man. (laughs) You know, like, Oh, I've been there or I was just in that situation a few months ago or whatever it looks like. Yeah. I think we're just going back to like having someone, um, but staying on social media, you know, especially with teens and it's like, the shit's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. There's only more of it. And with TikTok, Snapchat and Instagram and everything, 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 um, just constantly. And it's literally attached to our hip. We were at the park the other day and our friend, uh, shout out to Shannon. Uh, she kind of sit up and she's like, Oh, where's my phone? Looking for a phone. And we're all kind of laughing, like, kind of teasing her, but we would all do the same, right? Like, holy shit, where's my fucking phone? Like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. like I need it, I need it. Like no one's really doing that that dramatically, but kind of internally you're like, I fucking need this thing. We're like cyborgs. So for someone who, I feel like we were a generation that didn't have it attach our hips going through like high school and stuff. Um, I know for me it was like, I think Instagram, I got Instagram in college, um, but for the kids growing up with it and it's like literally that's all they know. How do, how do you manage that? If there are parents listening, how do you help your kid with that? If there are teenagers listening who have never not had it, is there a way to manage this? Uh, that's a, that's a difficult question. Um, cause like you said, it's so ingrained in culture at this point where, I mean, you won't find like a, a teenager, even a preteen without a cell phone kind of attached to their hip. Uh, and that's one of those things where I know some parents really do try and limit social media usage. Um, then others don't as much and I'm not going to give anyone advice on parenting, uh, as not being a parent myself. Um, but the best thing that I feel like you can do is just kind of have those open and honest conversations with kind of your teenagers. Um, their children are just talking about, you know, like, all right, so see you can Instagram a lot. Like, how does it make you feel? Kind of the, the classic therapist question. I'm like, how does that make you feel? How are you yeah. feeling right now? And just check in with them because, I mean, obviously kids don't have the same emotional maturity that adults do. And so they're not necessarily going to have the, the vernacular to, to say it the same way as, as we do whenever we say like, wow, I you know, just scrolled through Instagram. So everyone's living their life. Here I am laying on my couch feeling like shit. Um, but with, yeah, with those kids, it's, it, it could like appear more things as like, mm, yeah, like you know, have a stomach ache, have a headache, have, you know, like just, just don't feel good. Mm. And then from there kind of make your own, draw your own conclusions about, you know, is this, there's something else going on in their life or maybe it is like connected to social media and them seeing their friends doing all these things and feeling, feeling left out or feeling disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. Just, again, you know, being there communication. Yeah. yeah I think it's interesting because earlier we talked about, you know, what do you need to do to check in? Right. Oh, did I, you know, have food? Did I work out? Did I sleep well? What are some things I can do or what's going on in my life? Um, but do you think it's fair to say that sometimes we need to check in on like what we should take away, what we should remove, not just like adding, you know, positive things. So social media being one, or if there's toxic people in your life, or if it's like a job that is like, maybe it's a night shift and you're like, you can't live your life or, you know, all these things, like how important do you think that is to check in on too. are like, what are the things in my life I need to like step away from? Yeah. I think it's, it's vital to, to kind of always check in with yourself about how different things impact you. And so obviously you have those things that they're additive 
that really do kind of bring you joy and that, that inspire you or motivate you. But you also do have those, those drains where, uh, it just, you know, instead of adding to your cup, it takes away. And so whether that's kind of that job or that's toxic people, whether that's social media, you always do kind of want to have that self-awareness and, and be cognizant of how it, it impacts you. And from there, like make the decision of, you know, if I change this, will I feel better? And obviously it's easier to practice with things like taking away social media versus mm. changing jobs. But, uh, I feel like for the most part, if something really is on someone's mind, even though you, you may not have the words to express it, you can kind of tell through that, that intuitive lens. Um, and then just make what you think is the best decision for you. Yeah. I really like what you said about, you know, if you're just checking in on yourself, ask yourself why, you know, cause like even a lot of clients that I work with who it's maybe it's, <clears throat> it's not mental health, but it's like, you know, they're, they're following this career path or they're doing these things. Cause that's what society tells them or the way they're supposed to live, you know, ha- own this house or live here or like have this family or, you know, whatever. And it's just like, well, why? Well, why, you know, like, Oh, why are, why do you need a social media account? Why do you need to post? Like, why do you need to be friends with those people? Like why, you know, all these things. And, um, I think if we all did that, we'd have a lot more clarity on like what makes us happy. Yeah. It, reason exploration is one of my favorite things is if it really shows if people are being authentic and kind of mean what they say or, uh, kind of can follow up with, with their beliefs. Cause if they, you continue to ask someone why, like they have to have kind of that, that backing and that confidence, that self-assurance to be able to keep kind of giving you those, those explanations, uh, versus obviously if you can only go one or two levels deep, maybe it may be something this, this person themselves don't fully believe in. Mm. The Taylor, uh, does a lot of goal setting and I've learned a bunch from him on that and adding a because statement to your goals. Um, and one thing he taught me and I would teach my clients, he's like, you know, a big part of the because statement is like, do you actually really want this is what it shows. And yeah, if you say like, whatever, I want to do this by whatever, uh, because, and you're like, because, um, because I'm supposed to do it or like, I don't know why. And I think that's just, yeah, just the why question. It's really good. I love that takeaway. Um, I'm curious. I want to switch gears cause I'm so curious about like the research you do mm-hmm. and what does that look like? And is there any, like, what have you learned? Profound things. What is new out mm-hmm. there that you're learning? So the research that I've done, like I said, I've done a lot with military populations in active duty and then the VA. Um, So that was a lot of really cool kind of upstream suicide prevention work. And so a lot of the labs that I worked in was looking at moral injury uh, within our servicemen and and women, our service people, um, as well as looking at new cognitive markers for suicide risk. So obviously whenever you go into like a therapist office or whoever your mental health healthcare provider is, they'll ask you about your, uh, suicide risk, whether it's like, have you experienced, um, suicidal thoughts in the past, like two weeks, two months last year, or they'll ask like, have you tried to die by suicide within the past, like six months, whatever. Um, those are all great except they rely on self-report and because emotions, thoughts, feelings are pretty fluid, they can change pretty rapidly. 
Um, someone could be not be at risk whenever they're in an office, but then next day could be at high risk. Mm-hmm. And so trying to find this objective way of measuring risk, um, that's, uh, separate from kind of like that self-report measure. And so from there, it's, it's interesting. Um, there's a lot of research that has been going on. So the field of sociology, I should say is still pretty new, um, within the past, I forgot, like it's definitely less than a hundred years of this, this body of research. So there's, there's definitely a dearth of, uh, or lack thereof. Um, cause they're still trying to understand. Obviously, like you guys said, uh, suicide rates are still rising. Um, COVID definitely hasn't helped. And it's, it's interesting to see kind of how, uh, COVID alone has, has changed the field, knowing that past research has, has all been in person. Now it's a virtual. What does that mean? Cause as far as like efficacy goes, you don't only have to like test these new methods, but you have to test like, does this work virtually? Mm. Uh, and that obviously isn't going to go away anytime soon. Um, so I think that's one of the, the most unique things about the field uh, and about science right now in general is that you're kind of seeing it play out before your eyes. You're seeing how messy it is. You're seeing the mistakes. I mean, look at all like the vaccine information that's kind of um, evolved since what last year of, of seeing how the CDC has kind of changed their guidance. And it's the same way within, within all science. Of you're, you're seeing it play out in real time and you're realizing that it's not as clean cut um, or easily understandable as people would like to think it is. Yeah. Um, speaking of research, I'm curious about drugs, marijuana, and uh, what's the technical term? LSD, but um, what's the technical term? Psilocybin, mushrooms and stuff. But yeah, um, do you know anything about that? Can you speak to that and the benefits or... I can only speak to what my veterans have told me, which is what, that it, it is definitely helped them. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. It's great to see advances there mm-hmm. uh, in stuff that's illegal, but now realizing that these things can help. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I don't want to skate over like the, the veterans thing because I think it's, uh, I think it's important. Um, these people who go and see um, some horrible stuff and, come back and are having difficult times functioning in, in just like quote unquote normal life. Um, I don't know. Is there, is it any different for those, those people dealing with that kind of trauma versus um, maybe a teenager who hasn't experienced that? I, absolutely. I mean, whenever you look at kind of individual populations and, and like how mental health and research is conducted, I mean, you'll say you have this new kind of treatment. Um, new, like life-changing treatment for depression. Um, you would first study it in like adult populations. Then from there, you could change it to adolescents. And then from there, you have to study in children. And then from there, like you get into special populations, like um, LGBTQ community, veterans, um, communities of color. So it's one of those things where every community is so different and has these little nuances that really do make, make a difference in how you care for them. Um, that it, 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 it changes things. Research is so nuanced in that regard where you can't just broadly apply it to everyone. Yeah. You really do have to kind of make those notes and make those like fine tweaks, um, for it to be successful. And obviously it'd be easier if we didn't do that, but that's, that's not the scientific process. No, but that makes sense. I mean, people are dealing with 
different issues mm-hmm. like a veteran or uh, LGBTQ or, you know, uh, colored communities, like their experiences through life, you know, potentially led them here, yeah. likely led them here. You know, that's kind of what life is, our past experiences. So all these people are experiencing life in a different way and there's not just that one solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not easy. Okay. So kind of <clears throat> switching topics a little bit, you know, if we're talking about mental health and you had mentioned this equilibrium, this, you know, constant emotional state, and you mentioned the word happiness. So I'm curious, how do you define happiness and what makes Cole chaos Cole happy? What makes chaos Cole happy? 36 <gasps> shots of liquid cocaine, 36 <laughs> shots of liquid cocaine. Uh, that's, that's the clip. That's the intro clip right there. <laughs> Draw them in. <laughs> Great preview. Uh, that's a tough question. I I feel like I should have I should have had this like ready. Yeah, know. do you think um I've I've had a, I've had some interesting conversations with people lately about happiness and like that word uh-huh. and like do you think that's something you can work towards or do you think that's just like an emotion that you you feel that's fleeting? I think that's that's definitely something you can work towards as well as as well as an emotion that's fleeting. I think it's both and of the fact that you, you can recognize the, the interests and hobbies that, that like bring you joy. Uh, and you can recognize the, and acknowledge the people in your life that kind of help fulfill you or challenge you, or at least better you in some way. And you can kind of aim for those goals with your because statements, um, that obviously will give you some sort of like fulfillment. Um, but at the same time, there's there's also those like the mundane things in life that you're not working towards or mm. that you aren't like trying to to experience. They just happen, and then you kind of get that that sense of of happiness, um, whether it's like waking up and seeing like a beautiful sunrise, or you know going to out to the bars and running into a friend unexpectedly that you haven't seen in forever. Um, things that you can't plan, and those are those are some of I think like some of the best moments where you kind of reach that that inner happiness okay so to ask you this question a different way what uh what gets you up in the morning like what gets you excited to wake up every day Uh, i think it's just the fact of like having new experiences of of continuing to work towards the things that i'm passionate about of kind of you know working towards like seeing all of my friends and and family and kind of just you know like the 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 average life goals that everyone has of like eventually um like looking back on my career mm-hmm. of seeing like the impact that I've made in, in people's lives of of like coming home and, and seeing um like the life that I built for myself. Um and then reminiscing all the the fun things I've done along the way. So why is that important to you? <sighs> That's a great question, Taylor. That's a great question. Um, Taylor's trying to uncover the mysteries of life right, yeah, right here tonight. Using my favorite question against me too. I know. Well, the, you, you brought it up. Yeah, it's and true. I'm just curious. I I've created a monster. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, do you think happiness is the goal? You know, if we're talking about mental health, is that a goal? I think the one thing that people kind of fail to recognize whenever they talk about mental health is establishing that they always have to strive for happiness Mm. and that happiness is, is the only emotion 
that we should be really going toward. And that's, that's short sighted. Um, do you ever see the, the Disney Pixar movie inside out? Mm-hmm. I have not. You need to watch it. Yeah, it's good. We'll watch it. We'll have a movie night. Just pop popcorn, curl up under a blanket, <laughs> maybe share a kiss. So definitely not. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, but I think that that at like the most basic form kind of exemplifies what I'm trying to get at the fact that like happiness is great, but you also have this whole spectrum of human emotion that, that makes life worth living. And so sometimes the like, other age, the mm, horniness, horniness, yeah. um, <laughs> it's having those there moments, it is. um, <laughs> that make you sad or that like, kind of make you feel disgusted or make you feel like angry, upset. Um, Kind of makes the happy moments that much sweeter. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's it. That's the balance of everything where you wouldn't, if everything was just happy all the time, you wouldn't have the contrast to compare it to, you know, I was talking about winter. I'm, I, I love snowboarding, but winter's not my favorite, Mm -hmm. but summer wouldn't be the same if it was just summer all the time. I don't know how the Californians do it or whatever. People in the South, I'm like to have that contrast to be really appreciate the summer. Yeah is what makes it so beautiful for me. So the same thing where it's like, man, I was just going through a really, for me, a tough time in, in my business and life and just working hard and things not going the way I wanted them to. Um, but it's, I know like in that moment to kind of talk about the awareness and that being able to sit in that awareness and because I practice this to be like, this is hard. So first of all, I'm learning something very valuable here. And I cannot wait for like two months from now when like the snow's, falling and Taylor and I are ripping down the snow and like this is just in the past and it's over and I'm like loving life again because it's all just kind of a roller coaster Mm -hmm. and yeah you just kind of you said it you know can't really have those happy moments without the the tough ones totally 100% okay I got I got one last question um you know around mental health and like what you do and everything that's going on in the world I'm curious I don't know if I asked you this before you know what I, and it could be it could be something unrelated, but what do you want to make absurd in twenty years? And if you think like fifty years ago, uh, it was normal to throw your trash out of the sixth floor of your apartment building just to the ground. Now it's considered absurd. Fifty years ago, it was normal to go in a grocery store uh, and the clerk at the register is smoking a cigarette. Now it's considered absurd. So, is there anything that you want to be absurd in twenty years? Yes. I would love for mental health care to be accessible to all within the next 20 years. And whether that's like in person, whether that's virtual, whatever means necessary. Cause if you, you look, obviously mental health care professionals can't solve all your problems. A lot of the problems really do stem from kind of like your, your basic needs of, of housing, food security, um, clean environment, uh, safe workplace, uh, like a, uh, uh, secure relationships, obviously those can't be solved. But at the same time, I do think like people having that, that person that they can go to, uh, that, that is, is easily, easily accessible as their primary care provider, mm. um, or any of their other specialists they may see on, on occasion, or even just like, can you just touch on what it looks like right now in turn, you, you say the word Ooh. accessible. So like you know, what is kind of like describing it now? And then like, what could that look like in the future? Yeah. Uh, mental health care, if you do not have insurance, even sometimes when you do have insurance is, is a luxury. It, it is not something that everyone can, can access. 
by any means. And that, I mean, that goes, I mean, if you look at the different intersections of identity um, and how some people are disproportionately affected versus others, like what, what does that mean? And so I like going back to the crisis line where I'll, I'll talk to a lot of people and say like, Hey, do you, are you currently connected to a therapist? Can I help you find one? A lot of it will be like, I don't have health insurance or my health insurance uh, isn't that good. Like it, it, I can't get in anywhere. Um, and so from there, we kind of have to like find alternative solutions. So I never want to get on the crisis chat. If I'm just still doing, you know, crisis line in 20 years, I don't want to get on and ever have that conversation with people. I want to say, all right, you're in Denver, Colorado. Cool. Here's a list of therapists you can go to, or you're, uh, even like with that of like younger people of, uh, like teenagers, I would love for there to be a way for them to also like access care in some way. Um, but obviously that's more of a pipe dream than anything. Um, but just making it so that anyone who needs that care can get it without having to jump through hoops or without having to sacrifice other parts of their life, uh, to feel cared for. I love that. I was, I was going to ask about like the younger and like having in schools Mm -hmm. and you know, I don't know what that would look like, but I, I had a, um, a guy who was a guest speaker on my program and he told this story, um, I'm just kind of chatting now, but like he told the story, um, he helps people. He's an, he's an actor. He helps people with like kind of getting their story out there and how important your story is. And he told the story about how he went to this, I think it was a kid's camp. I might mess up the story a little bit, but basically the first day they, they brought him in. They're like, we have trouble with our kids, like connecting. And it kind of takes to like, I think it's like a week long or whatever. It takes like the final day. They finally start connecting and it takes too long. We want them to like connect quicker. And he's like, okay. So they brought him in first day. Um, they went to the gymnasium. And they set all the kids up on one side and they played a game. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's called, um, it's like, if you knew me, like you wouldn't like me or something like mm-hmm. that. And they start to have fun with it. And all the kids like, okay, you're going to run to this, the other side of the gym. If, um, you know, if you don't like chocolate, like whoever doesn't like chocolate and you know, some kids run over and they're like, and you know, it's fun. It's like, Oh, you don't like chocolate. Oh, you're weird. Oh. And it's really fun. And then you get down to like, you know, if you knew, my parents were divorced or getting a divorce. You wouldn't like me. And a few of the brave kids step up first. And then, you know, slowly these other kids start to trickle in. Finally, the last one does. And it's just like, you know, he's just like, you know, look to the person next to you and see that these people are going through this with you. You're not alone. And look at the people on the other side of the gym who aren't going through this, but love you anyway. And like, are there for you. And I'm like, that was fucking incredible. I'm like, if they could, do something like that in schools and show kids like you're not alone and all the people are going through this shit and you can talk to people and no one's going to hate you. But I know it's hard, right? Cause mm-hmm. we've all been in high school and feeling judged and looking to our left and right and making sure we're doing the thing we're supposed to do. So we don't get made fun of. But anyway, I just went on the tangent because um, I love that having that support accessible because like I was saying before with my sales calls, like people don't have this place to go. Some people don't have that community or, ever have had someone ask them those why questions to have that space and open up and uh, just wish we could all have that because um, I guess maybe sometimes I think I take it, take it for granted having some, a good friend like Taylor, all my other good friends, my family uh, to be able to really open up and not feel like they're going to hate me or I'm going to be judged for it. Um, so I just love that answer and you answered it so fast, which was great. Try my best. You're killing it. Awesome. Anything else for the listeners, Cole? Wise words of advice, dear reverend. 
don't know if I have any wise words of advice. Best thing is, if you have a problem, talk about it. That's all you gotta do. Find find your find your community. Find your people. Make life worth living. I love it. <laughs> and and guys, if you're listening, this is part of the reason we created the podcast community. If you if you need to reach out to us, send us a message, let us know. We're here for you. Um, yeah. And we have a great Facebook group going now with Sober October and people we're all supporting each other through it. You know, I was <laughs> sending a photo of me uh, getting my Heineken Zeros for the Dave Matthews concert while my, my brother and good friend were had like, you know, 30 drinks between them. Um, and it's fun to have that support to get those likes. And, you know, um, you know that's for Sober October. But, you know, the idea of the, the Facebook group is to, to create that community and uh, kind of grow it from there. So join us. And then speaking of which, and I think this was... I then I know Taylor I think got it from you as the trusted source, but we're also raising money for the oh no, I don't want to say it wrong. I always say American Society, it's not society. Um American Foundation. American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. And our goal is fifteen hundred bucks, so we're raising money. I know I should know that better. It's uh but hey, we're you know, this is all we're doing it live and uh I'm, it. I'm a flawed human. So I know you guys didn't believe that, but here it is, it's <laughs> happening live. So um please join the Facebook group donate and Cole thank you so much for coming on I love you Taylor I love you Deuce I love you over there and that's it see you guys next time peace out